Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. 204 DGS on KMOX. Happy Thursday to you. Uh, Kev, let's talk a little bit of sports, a little Cardinals. Sure. Uh, I know there's some news about uh, Yachty, and I was reading an article today about Cease. Yep. And, uh, and and I'm starting to kind of understand the the sports journalism world. It's a whole <laughs> lot of bull crap. It's really hard to sort through. It really it's is. It's kind of what we were just talking about. It's like a bunch of 12-year-old girls gossiping. Yeah, you it's, know? It, it's almost a little bit of what we were talking about when it comes to TikTok and all of that, too, because there are people that are, we all know, we all know Ken Rosenthal, Derek Gould, you know, John Heyman. We know those people, but there are also a lot of people out there when you see their Twitter profile, you're like, who's that person? And they're like, I've got inside information that this is possibly happening. Well, this one was quoting Rosenthal. you don't know, yeah. And, and saying that the Cardinals are making a real play for Cease. Yes. So I know there are a lot of people out there in KMOX land who know baseball backwards and forwards, but for those of, the, of those who don't, tell us who he is and why he would matter. So Dylan Cease is, is a guy that's interesting because he's got two years left under his contract, so he's not a pending free agent. He's not super expensive, so this is not something that you would be limited on financially. It wouldn't be a move where... Like it's not like Sonny Gray, where you're mm-hmm. committing an average value of twenty five million, even though the first year's only ten. Um, and he's got elite stuff. Now he, he did not pitch well this past season. Um, he struggled a good bit compared to where he had been, and that's a there, there's a little concern there. Um, but the year before, so you look at twenty twenty two, he was one of the best pitchers in the American League. He finished second in the Cy Young voting, um, two twenty ERA. He strikes out a ton of people, and he's one of those guys with the big fastball. He's you know, when he's right, he's 97, 98 with the fastball. And he's maintaining that as a starter, not just as a reliever. So his as term in terms of a talent, he's special. Strikes people out. He's been a Cy Young contender. He's coming off a down year. But some of it, this is the part we have to get through. Some of it's because he was on a bad team. And in particular, a bad defensive team. So it sounds like he could be a bargain. No, he will not be. <laughs> <laughs> he will he will cost you players you don't want to trade. Okay. Because one, he's he's still only going to be 28 this year. So he's 27 last year, he'll be 28 this year. You're trading for 2 years of him instead of one, which is kind of a normal rental situation. And I'd say there're probably 10 teams trying to trade for him. So you've got competition and you've got a lot of talent and the fact that he's not going to make a ton of money is a big part of this too. Mm-hmm. You're talking about a potential Cy Young contender who last season made eight. eight million. So maybe he's looking at 12 or 15 now, and then maybe 20 next year, but that's a bargain. 
for that kind of guy, but you're going to pay that back in the in the acquisition cost of players you got to trade. Um, so while he would be a great addition, I mean, legitimately would like a, great. Uh, Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson do it? No, they won't even talk to you. I mean, they might take one of those guys, but that person would be the third or fourth player on the list of guys they want. They're going to start with Nolan Gorman. They're going to start with Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn. That Those are the players they're going to ask you for. You don't have to say yes, and it may not ultimately take that, although it all it takes is like one team to be more more motivated than you to Would beat an offer. Would you give up any of those players for him? You could t- I would not trade Jordan Walker. Too young, too much upside. Um and I think that that that's a player you hang on to and let grow. I you could I I don't think I would trade Mason Wynn either because of the position that he plays. Short, young talented shortstops are hard to find, especially ones that can be offensive players even though he wasn't in the major leagues last year. Um, you could talk me into trading Nolan Gorman, but it would be a very hard talk. Like if I were going to, for example, if I were going to deal with the White Sox, if you want him, I want more than Cease. I want one of your hitters. I probably want maybe Jimenez, who is not a good defender. His name is Eloy Jimenez. He He's a guy that could be, if, if he stays healthy, a 30, 35, 40 homer guy, but he's a bad defender. Well, the Cardinals could just plug him in at DH if they're going to trade Gorman. Now, is that a reasonable deal? Probably not, because that's a lot more money to Jimenez makes some money. But I would want more than that. You, but you could talk me into it, but then you're going to have to turn around and spend on offense. I don't think you can just just absorb the loss of, of so Gorman. this may not be the deal for us. It, it could be. you got to go through it, and there may be other deals that are similar that wind up. There are other players out there that are of a similar profile. Um, th- there are some guys that are one-year rentals. Uh, Tyler Glass now from Tampa Bay is one of those, but he makes $25 million this year. Then again, you just saved a bunch of money by signing Sonny Gray to the kind of deal you did. So if you get a one-year rental on a guy like that, you can pull it off. It's no big deal. It's not a huge commitment. And he's another one of those big stuff guys. Uh, there's Justin Bieber from the Indians. Uh, Indians, God, I keep doing it. The Guardians. And he's been a Cy Young contender, but he's also just coming off a year where he had some elbow issues. And there's some worry about that. If you're only going to get one year out of him, one of he's hurt. You know, So there are a bunch of those guys. Seattle's got like three young pitchers they would trade for a guy like Nolan Gorman, but I don't think they would do it for others. Uh, the Marlins might be a fit. They've got some really talented young guys, uh, and they might not be able to command as much for some of those guys. And it, like I'm talking Gorman, but it's going to cost you people you don't want to trade. You know, yeah. it's going to cost you Brendan Donovan. It's going to cost you some of your better prospects. It might cost you Mason Wynn. I have a oh, sorry. go ahead. I have a baseball question for you, Wheeler. That's been on my mind the last couple of days. So you mentioned the Sonny Gray contract, right? Yeah. How it's like it's kind of backloaded. It's ten, yeah, ten this year, twenty five next year, and then thirty five in the last year. And and I saw people on Twitter. I don't think it was you. I think it was other people. But they were saying like, well, this gives them tons of flexibility for next year, yada yada. How is that not just hamstringing them though in two or three years? I mean, we're probably not going to be great next year, given the way that this year went. So it's like, are, aren't we just making things, aren't we just like kind of kicking the can even farther? Like we're making it easier for us next year, sure, but then like is it making us mu- it much harder for us? No, because like five and six? it's because of the expiring contracts, okay. right? So if you look at their year-by-year contracts, by the time you're paying Sonny Gray $35 million a year, Paul Goldschmidt's $26 million is not there. Miles Michaelis' 17 and a half is not there. 
Steven Matz, 12 and a half is not there. Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson. I mean, that, that right there, that's $70 million. But surely aren't that's, you aren't you wanting to re-sign like some of those people? Probably not because of their age. Those guys are all old. The youngest of the guys I just listed is Steven Matz. He's 32. The rest are 36 or older. So there's a good chance that those players, and let's say you want to keep Paul Goldschmidt. There's a chance that it may not cost $26 million a year now that he's going to be 37 as opposed to what he was when you signed him to that deal. Um, and some of that depends on the kind of year he has. So if, because this coming year is Goldie's last year, he's due for $26 million. If he goes out and has a, a monster year and he's an MVP candidate, he may get something like that. But if he has a year like last year where it wasn't that level, other teams are going to look at it and say, all right, now he's 37 and that's two years where he wasn't MVP Goldie. Do we really want to pay 26 million? Maybe that turns into 17 or 18 with incentives. You know, so it doesn't mean you're, those guys are all gone, but it does mean a lot of them are gone. It gives you two years to see younger players develop. So does that mean that your top pitching prospect is a guy named Tink Hens? Is he ready in two years to take Kyle Gibson's spot? Hmm. Well, that's $12 million. That's now five hundred or 750000 because he's making the minimum as a rookie. So that just buys you time to sort out Okay. What young guys will then be cheap and take over some of these jobs? So it's not short-sighted. Right. Okay. So uh, there was talk about uh, Yadier Molina <clears throat> being a coach for the Cardinals. Yeah. He had been pretty quiet about it, and he's made some comments. He did. So he was uh, on a radio show in Puerto Rico uh, with Enrique Rojas, who is a reporter for ESPN, in addition to being based um, uh, in Puerto Rico and doing that radio show there. He's an ESPN Major League Baseball reporter. Um, and he tweeted, Enrique Rojas did, what Molina said to them in an interview today on the radio. And I'll, I, I, won't, I won't read it um, directly, like in full, but the two main points are he's not going to be a full-time coach this year. He will be with the team. He, he'll maybe be in spring training and help out. And maybe at times, it sounds like he's going to be a special assistant to John Mosellock which means he could show up in spring and be there for the whole time, part of the time, and then in the season, maybe be at the big league level for a while and maybe be at AAA for a while, but nothing full-time for family reasons. He wants to spend more time with his family, which is understandable. He just spent the last 20-plus years doing this every day. The other thing that was interesting for that interview, though, is that Molina said his long-term plan is to be a major league manager. We've heard other people say that. You know, we've heard other people say that that's his, but he said it flat out. So that's interesting and makes you wonder like how the Cardinals see that is, is Yachty essentially the Cardinals manager in waiting. And I don't know because what if Ali Marmol goes out and wins the world series this year? I mean, you're not going to fire a manager to hire Yachty in that scenario. But if you have another bad year, I mean, this kind of opens the door to be like, well, Molina could be the guy. Okay, so this is going to sound like I'm being a contrarian or devil's advocate, and I'm not. It's just a genuine question. Um, Yadier Molina, obviously a Hall of Fame catcher, had great relationships with his fellow players, has a lot of fire in his belly. But does that translate into he would be a good manager? I think so. I mean, I, I when you look at the current profile of managers that are being hired especially at the first as the first time managers. So we're not talking about guys that are already proven Hall of Fame managers, right? Like Bruce Bochy with the Rangers. He was already a Hall of Fame manager before they hired him. But when you're talking about hiring a new manager, he fits the perfect mold, which is a player that retired recently who is well respected for work ethic 
attention to detail and an understanding of the nuances of game management. Well, who's better at that than a catcher? Somebody that had to do it every pitch of every game when they were in the field and somebody who was in the clubhouse for over 20 years. Who understands clubhouse dynamics better than a guy like that? Um, The only downside for Yachty, it may be a downside about him, but it's more for him, I think, if I were looking at it from his eyes. I just don't know if he's going to love the media part of being a major league manager. You got to do pregame interviews on TV, on radio. You got to meet with the reporters every day, pre and post game. You've got to do all that you're going to do MLB network radio. You're going to have to go. I mean, like there's a lot that goes into being a manager that has nothing to do with managing a team. And I would just wonder how he likes that. He can do it. You know, Yachty seems quiet. Yachty is not always the most talkative guy, but he's super smart. And when you get him in the right settings, he's really cool to listen to. So I think he can do it, but that's probably the only question. Would he want to? And then how good would he be at that? I think his communication with players would be perfectly fine. I think he, a guy that's been in his spot as long as he has been, the relationship that a catcher has to have with all of his pitchers is a very personal one. And I think combine that with 20 years, you know, of doing it at the major league level, but also look at his life and look at his brothers. We talked to Benji yesterday. He, he's been, this is his entire life. He's grown up in this dealing with the clubhouse and the players to me would be a strength of his without much question. The question is, would he be good at dealing with us and would he want to? And it sounds like he wants to, I mean, he gets that. If he's saying he wants to be a manager, he knows what goes into it. Cool. Quick break. Right back. DGS. 221 DGS on KMOX. Hate to just keep being a, a negative Nancy, but I really, truly do. Uh, I do think we have the worst group of leaders we've ever had. And I wasn't alive in the 17 or 1800s, so I don't know what Andrew Jackson was like or Tippy Canoe. But, but uh, we got a bunch of petulant man children uh, running the place now, and one of them, although he's not elected. Uh, is Elon Musk, who's the richest guy in the world, who seems to think he's been elected to something because he he has an opinion on everything that he readily shares, and he goes super anti-Semitic, almost to Hitler levels, and then the next day he's in Israel, and he's talking about how we kill Hamas, and uh, then he's saying, F all of my, uh, uh, my advertisers who are leaving, and especially Disney and XYZ, and... Uh, Andrew, I know that you are my resident Elon hater, and you have thoughts on this. We'll start with you. I think, and I, I kind of rolled this out to you guys at lunch. I think what we saw last night was a guy who, uh, a guy who really thinks the whole world is on his side, and has no awareness that it has turned. You know, and I, and I think maybe for the for pre Twitter. When a lot of people didn't really know about the, you know, the lack of follow through, right, and the um, some of the bad parts about Elon, and they just saw him as like electric car, he's gonna fly us to Mars, he sends up rockets. <laughs> he had a lot more goodwill then, mm-hmm. and I think he has squandered all of that and does not and does not realize it. I mean, why do I always say the more you get to know someone, the less you mm-hmm. like them? And, and I think he's been a perfect example of that. And his his exact words were like, "We'll see what Earth has to say." When when Earth finds out that they that the advertisers killed the company, and it's like no one's gonna care when Twitter goes away. If if, if Twitter is killed because people stop advertising, 
no one's going to care, and certainly no one's going to come after any advertisers about it because, I mean, you you could hear it in the video. He's just he's completely silent, <laughs> or he gets complete silence when he is you know rolling yeah. all this out, and he's expecting big applause and big cheers and everything else. He gets nothing because no one cares anymore. Elon to me is just someone who wants all the credit for everything going right, and it, but is unable to take any responsibility when things go wrong. And the advertising thing is just the perfect example of that. Like Andrew said, he's making statements like the advertisers will be the one who killed Twitter and everyone will know. Well, no, they, the advertisers don't have an obligation to the company the way you do. They don't have an obligation to keep their mouths shut. And, you know, I mean, have whatever harebrained opinion you want to have, I guess. But whenever you're putting it out there, people are going to react and you have made yourself the face of the company. It's no one else's problem if the face of the company is doing things to harm the the company. I mean, it's just so backwards to say these people who have the option whether or not to support this company are destroying it by taking the option to not participate. That doesn't make any sense. Well, I mean, He's acting like it's an advertiser's fault that they don't want their ad to show up next to a neo-Nazi post because that's what was happening. There are people out there posting terrible things that go unmoderated, unchecked, and they're just allowed to be there because, hey, free speech. Well, guess what? Free speech means if you're going to be total free speech means you're going to have to deal with the consequences. And not just that, but supported by the owner of the platform. Well, right. He's, when he yes, said you he's are saying the actual truth. Right. And he's amplifying conspiracy theories like the Pizzagate thing. Would he place advertisement for his other companies on platforms that, that where his ad could be next to a Nazi saying anti-Semitic things? Maybe. Would he would he put his Tesla would he put t- Tesla commercials on a podcast for white nationalists? Do you think? Because I don't think he would. Do you think he's dangerous or just eye rolling? He's dangerous because he's worth two hundred fifty billion. Yeah, he's dangerous because he's the he's the richest person in the world. We've already seen time and time again, like when he got himself involved in Russia and Ukraine, he has a direct line to the people who run very dangerous countries. And, you know, I, I, I really didn't like when he involved himself in Russia and Ukraine and he was like, I'm going to be putting up all these satellites. And then yeah. he's like, well, it turns out some people are mad, so I'm going to be taking them down. That's an immense amount, an immense amount and of he's, power. For and one he's person. so changeable. Yes. Where it was uh, he had foiled some sort of an attack by Ukraine. And then when he left Israel, it was now I'm going to foil Hamas. You're right. When when the guy is a uh, self-described super genius and the richest man in the world, and he thinks it's totally cool to uh, inject himself into literal wars, mm-hmm. I guess it is more than I wrote. At what point, and I, I don't know for there, I don't even know the answer to this, but I'm asking it. At what point does the government have to step in and say, dude, you're a private citizen? You can't go talk to the leaders of other countries on your own because you're rich. But what But what in the law would keep him from doing that? I don't that? know. That's what I'm saying. The I don't know. I'm, what I'm asking is at what point, right? I mean, does he have to actually commit an act of, say, espionage for it to be a problem with the powers that be? Because at some point, you don't want the richest man in the world thinking he can just throw his hat in the ring on anything he wants to. I mean, I know you can privately, but there's a difference between private and communication with world leaders. But there's also no way to stop him. I mean, that's why I'm asking. I don't know what the law is, but at some point, would he actually have to commit 
an overt act that that harmed the interest of the United States. Because, I mean, they're all kinds of, I mean, national security covers a lot of things. Now, he's, but he's an interesting example in that he's the richest man in the world. Like, it's one thing to hold Joe Blow accountable for doing something terrible. Good luck when it's this kind of guy. But you can't. You can't hold the richest man in the world accountable. The government doesn't control his money, right? So the government can't take anything from him. Uh, but again, the government has wide-ranging thing, wide-ranging power when it comes to national security. And if they think he's a national security threat, I bet there's language in the law books that would say there's something you can do. Yeah, it's the Hatch Act. It was when John Kerry was uh, negotiating with Iran mm, yeah, and yeah, they yeah. had to step in and say, hey, you no longer have any sort of uh, legal standing to do this and you're violating the, the, the statute. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast 234 dgs uh, some things going on in the news right now so they are having their hearing on whether they're going to expel george santos or not uh what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, they have the votes and it probably will happen. First person in the last 20 years. 
I think uh, only six people before have been expelled, and most of them fought for the Confederacy uh, during the Civil War. The head of the Florida GOP, the chairman of the Florida GOP, has been accused of sexual battery by an alleged menage a trois lover. So that's uh, great. Uh, What else? Henry Kissinger died. I don't have much feelings on that. I grew up with him. He's a very polarizing figure. Um, Killed a whole lot of Vietnamese uh, uh, civilians, hundreds of thousands. I don't know. So anyway, uh, a 70-year-old woman gives birth to twins. What? Rand Paul saved Joni Ernst's life. She was choking on a sandwich at the Senate lunch, and he gave her the old Heimlich. Good for him. Wow. Wow. It's a big day. Really big day. (laughs) Uh, One of the most interesting things going on right now is... Uh, what's going on with Israel and Hamas. And I'm no expert, but here's basically what I understand, that we went from October 7th to Israel invading Gaza, and uh, we've seen all the destruction and thousands and thousands of Gazans dead, far more civilians than Hamas fighters. Uh, The world sort of collectively went, and then a whole bunch of people, you know, by the hundreds of thousands were out there protesting. And at this point, uh, Biden and Blinken especially, Blinken just met with the Israelis and just gave a press conference and uh, was was, uh, more direct than I thought he would be. He said that he told Israel that before you start any sort of action again, you need to give us a plan of how you're not going to do what you just did. You can't just go in and level the entire area and have children under rubble and 12,000 people dead. You can't do that. You can protect yourself. You can fight Hamas, but you can't do what you just did. That's really interesting. Like, that is a big change in, like, a couple of weeks. You almost wonder if that change is in part because of the outrage, of course, right? Because people are seeing it. But also, does it feel safer to say now that they've done a lot of damage to Hamas? Does that make sense the way I'm putting it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, you've done a lot of the damage you said you needed to do. This is no longer necessary. Because that wasn't their message at the beginning of this. But maybe it's more like you're looking at it as, okay, a big chunk of what you needed to accomplish is done. Now you got to rein it in and be, and not only be smart, but be more humane, be more careful, be more disciplined because you did the big work. Is that me? I'm I'm only reading into it, but maybe that's a part of the shift. Mm -hmm. In addition to the fact that, yeah, look, people are, people are going to go against this kind of thing when you can see it, right? I mean, it's human tragedy and we all hate that. And I think that there's a difference between going hard at first because this is the only way you think you can accomplish what is necessary and then continuing to do that if you've already taken major steps against your enemy like it's a, it would be going a step too far to continue with those tactics it's so yeah. depressing because we all have a dog in the fight yeah but uh but i don't as far as connection like actual connection um but it makes me sad because I don't see a I don't see a good way out of this long term. Short term, uh, Hamas is evidently saying, "Okay, here's our deal: we'll return every hostage we have, and you release every Palestinian prisoner that you have." And I don't know how many that is. I think it's in the thousands. Mm-hmm. I doubt Israel would do it, but let's say that they did. Uh, let's say that uh, they, that happens tomorrow. 
All right. Well, what happens uh, next Monday? It's not like they're buddies and everything's fine. Who's going to rebuild Gaza? Probably us. Um, I don't see a two-state solution anywhere in the near future. If there is one, there is always going to be, and this is just my humble opinion from my seat in the bleachers, there is always going to be a large group uh, on the Muslim side, the anti-Israel side, that even if the best possible two-state solution is put together— they don't want it, and they're going to continue to cause problems, continue to commit terror, continue to try to uh, foul up the whole system. I just I don't see a future where everyone is sufficiently happy to where they go, oh, well, that's over with. I'm not smart enough to have a solution to a problem that's been around for, I don't know, what, 100 times longer than I've been alive. Um but I think one path forward would have to be somehow making it too painful for the states that sponsor terrorist groups to continue to participate in the international community. I mean, who funds Hamas? It's Iran. Everyone knows it. The entire world knows it. Everybody talks about it. And they help. They fund Hezbollah. They fund all of these groups. How can you make it so painful for Iran that they won't do that without also hurting their citizens? Because the way I understand people's description of Iran is that the regular citizens don't want any of that stuff. They just want to be people. They just want to live. They want to in, but the leadership wants to do it. And if they do it at a distance, they don't pay the price. So if you do it by sneaking money here and there, well, then you're not quote unquote directly responsible you know, where do, where do all of the Hamas leaders live? They live in Qatar. Well, maybe you need some help from them. Maybe Saudi Arabia has got to play a bigger role. And I think that's the problem is until you have leadership in that region that's going to work toward making things better. And notice the attack on October 7th came, what, the day before there was supposed to be a, some kind of agreement between Israel and, and Saudi Arabia? That wasn't a coincidence. But the only way it works is if the state actors in the region stop either funding or allowing others to fund terrorist groups. You do that and it changes the game. I just don't know how. And I don't know how you do that without further damaging the lives of other innocent people. Uh, let's say hello to Judah on line one. Judah, go right ahead. Good day, all. Um, I, I really love your show, Um Honestly, you're the best thing going in, in St. Louis as far as common sense and a word that's not understood by many. And the word that's missing from this conversation regarding Palestine and Israel. Nuance. Nuance. Most Americans may have heard of it, but they don't know it because they don't understand how to use it. 2001, I went to visit a buddy of mine and his grandparents, and his grandparents form in Ashkelon, Israel. When I flew into King David Airport, hell, not, forget about that. When I boarded, when I boarded El Al, the security was like a million times more than TSA. When you landed, forget about it. Hey, you weren't you weren't getting the grace in that country. The way Netanyahu dropped the ball, the way you had Israeli Defense Force members actively protesting against him and his and his uh, manipulation of the Supreme Court because he didn't want to be busted for corruption, that's where the ball was dropped from a security standpoint. Now, move on to, to, to the Palestinian-Israeli war. 
babies being raped and burned, of course Israel was going to try to kill a fly with a sledgehammer. I mean, who wouldn't? Now that we are where we are, where we are, where we are, Hamas is a, is, is a faction, a terrorist group, but they're more so an ideology. You're never going to wipe it out 100%. Hell, we still got Klansmen in this country. With the job... Yeah, Judah had a bad film connection there, but At I, the end, yeah. I get what he's saying, though. Well, you know, I mean, like, that's why when people, when we started our, quote, war on terror after 9-11, there were a lot of critics who supported the U.S. who were American citizens saying, you can't declare war on an ideology. Yeah. You have to have a, a, a an organization or a body or a group of people. And what complicates this, and I, I like that Judah makes the point about nuance, because I do think that's important in all things. There are d- details matter. And part of the problem in this kind of a case is you have a group like Hamas that uses human beings as 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 shields. Well, that's that's against the Geneva Conventions. How do you fight against that? Well, they they put you in a position where the only way you can is to hurt people. And how, again, how do you, you know, if, I forget who said it, and it's not a smart thing. It's not a it's not a gotcha kind of thing, but like. If it was just two armies lining up across from each other, this all is easy. Yeah. Everybody's just like, hey, listen, you guys are military. You go at it. You take, you know, (laughs) go ahead. But the minute it's impossible to distinguish civilian from soldier, then it's going to get this way. It's going to be murky and ugly and terrible. And I understand Hamas doesn't have the numbers to just line up against a military, a really highly funded, strong military and say, okay, let's go out, go at it at the battlefield. That's why this problem is such a problem because you're, you can't, the bigger you are like us, right? We got attacked by a terrorist group, not by a country. Well, what's, what's the, what's the, the response? The response is to invade another country. The country didn't attack you, but the people are there. That's where they are. And weeding them out is, I mean, like weeding out the bad actors, is almost impossible in that setting. Think about it in the U.S. Look at a city like St. Louis. You got all kinds of people committing crimes, committing violent crimes. But can you solve it? Can you get them all without stomping on the rights of other people? And in this case, it's more than rights. I mean, it's obviously bombs exploding and buildings falling apart. It's just a very difficult thing to do, and that's why it is the chaos that it is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not uh, belittling the power of ISIS or Hamas because we've seen what al-Qaeda did. We've seen what Hamas did on October 7th, and it's horrific. But that, to me, is they shot their best shot. Uh, Bin Laden shot his best shot on 9-11 and I think was far more successful than he ever dreamed that he would be. Hamas was probably shocked at how successful October 7th was, but it's not a country— fighting another country. They're never going to destroy Israel. Uh, They're never going to destroy the United States. Uh, And yet we react, Israel and the United States, as if we're fighting a country. And I I get, I don't get it because I'm not a military guy, but I can at least understand the logic of, well, where the bad guys are, are in these countries, hiding behind the countrymen, and it's going to take us a lot of time and a lot of money to do this surgically. So let's just level Mosul. Let's level Gaza. I understand the logic behind it. But again, as we talk so much on the show about generations, we're living in a in-the-moment live generation 
where we are watching it happen on television live. Think how different wars before this would have been had we would have been literally like there's Anderson Cooper, World War II front lines. The bombing of Dresden. The bombing of Dresden, the carpet bombing in Vietnam, like things would have been very different. It's 247 brought to you by the Heise Advisory Group. 252 DGS. So I understand a little bit better now what's going on with the royal family. So this guy wrote a book and he was suggesting who the two members of the royal family were who were being racist and and, uh, wondering how dark uh, Archie would be, you know, the the baby between Meghan and Harry. And uh, but didn't say who it was. But when they did the Dutch translation, I guess they did. And so they pulled it back so no one would know. And today, Piers Morgan, being Piers Morgan, uh, went on the air in the U.K. and said, I read it. I'll tell you who it is. And it's King Charles and it's Kate Middleton. And so now the uh, Buckingham Palace has responded and they're not denying it, but they're saying they're considering legal action uh, against uh, against Piers Morgan, possibly even criminal action against Piers Morgan. How that would be possible, I don't know. But according to the guy that wrote this book, and it's just a guy that wrote a book, uh, it was the it was Prince Charles at the time, King Charles now, and Kate Middleton who were openly wondering about the shade of the baby. Hmm. That, I don't know if you saw, but my eyeballs, my, they almost bugged out of my head. Because isn't Pierce Morgan like a real crown ass kisser? Like no, he, he gets hates really... Meghan Markle. Yeah. They... Right, this is my point. But he's backing her up. Yeah. He's throwing King Charles under the bus. Well, more Normally, than... like, I've seen him shout people down for saying anything even remotely negative about the queen more before she passed likes, away. More than he likes the king, he likes himself and attention. <laughs> so I think he maybe just sees a really good opportunity here. I mean, this is like the best thing he's ever done. <laughs> I mean, Yeah, that's a good point. Andrew. That's what's shocking to me, though, is he has always been a stand for the royal family. I'm shocked that he would do that. So if, if it's true, how right, does that right, hit right. you? I mean. On an interpersonal level or on a monarchy level. I mean, I feel like what, there are probably families who have dealt with this before where it's like people don't know how to... What am I trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> Sticky situation here. Um, I feel like people can make really ignorant comments like that and not realize how ignorant they're being like wondering aloud like I wonder what shade of skin the baby will have I could see people making a comment like that and having no idea how inappropriate it is um I do I think it makes them like an inherently evil person no but I think it means they need to educate themselves especially if a member of your family is going to be a person of color like you are gonna have to get better um, so maybe this can be a learning experience for the royal family, but I don't see, I don't, <laughs> I don't think this is going to be the thing that takes down the monarchy. I mean, after everything they've been through, I think it's just going to be a bump in the road for them ultimately. I mean, people always get mad at me when I say it. If, if this is true, what Pierce Morgan is report has said, it just confirms to me that the royal family, they're terrible human beings and they have been for generations. They are terrible what they do to their children generation after generation is terrible the the position that they've put themselves in and 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 have continued to command this outsized presence in the world based on traditions that are 
hundreds of years old and no longer relevant to modern society, the way that they've taken advantage of the fact that their relatives in the past were simply better at killing than other people's relatives. I'm sorry. I got nothing for you. And this would just be confirmation, more confirmation to me, not that I need it, that they're just terrible human beings. Made terrible by the generations that came before them and then continuing that tradition of terribleness. And if you How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.